0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Freeftakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito
1: This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the show, Jeff, Eric, and Drew with you here on the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. We can officially say football season is on the way. It was media days this week, gentlemen. We had UCF media day. We had American Athletic Conference media day. We're saying, th- we're saying cliches into microphones again, fellas. It's
0: back.
2: Yay, coach speak. <laughs> it's it's well, all think, back.
0: Well, we drew needed we needed this spark after the bummer news that Jeopardy's settling on Mike Richards as their host permanently? Like what, what is that?
1: that? He's the produ- he's the producer of the show. Basically, he chose himself. They <laughs> swung for the
2: fences and they got a base
0: hit. So what happens yeah. when Aaron Rodgers decided to just play football instead, I guess?
1: I think that you know what? That's an interesting point. I think they were tracking they might have been <laughs> counting on Aaron Rodgers. Anyway. Uh, We'll talk about that. We have a guest on the show this week. Joe Broback from Underdog Dynasty gives us a look at the uh, American in general. Just kind of zooming out, looking at the whole conference as we set up for the 2021 season. Bryson Turner joins us later on to talk about week two of the Olympics for UCF athletes competing, including the end of the line for the great Phil Dalhauser. But uh, we start with media days in the American. And the big story actually coming in for uh, UCF uh, with their media day earlier this week was Ben Tavius Thompson credit to Jason Beatty from 247 he actually noticed first that uh, Benno was suspiciously absent from the team's roster uh earlier this week and come to find out when we uh, when we got a hold of coach uh Gus Malzahn that uh when we asked him hey what's up with uh, with Benno he said uh, he confirmed that Bentavious Thompson is no longer on the UCF roster uh, he did wish him well um everything is very cloudy around this Eric Lopez which is kind of uh, <clears throat> well I would say it, it I would say it's I was about to say it's unusual it's not really that unusual um but
0: um, I, I guess the first thing is,
1: is does anyone have any indication of what happened here?
0: No, we don't. Nobody knows. Nobody inside knows. Uh, they're doing a good job keeping it hush. whatever it was. So, you know, hopefully it's nothing too serious for uh, his sake. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, Gus was to the point. He's no longer with the team. And, look, this is where the transfers come in now. This is why they made the transfer moves they did. And Gus even said this on media day on Wednesday in the American that, You know, this is a young football roster, and that's one of the reasons why he's got a guy like Mark Anthony Richards coming over from Auburn, who's the guy I always felt like would be the guy uh, at running back, just because obviously the ties with Auburn and the system, he probably knows the system for Gus better than any of the running backs on the roster. So UCF's going to go multiple backs. I don't think it's that big of a loss. I know people love Beno Thompson and his abilities, But I don't believe, if you're going to lose a player in a position, the running back position is not a position where UCF is hurting. And I think regardless whether he, you know, if he was still on the roster or not, that was still going to be youth on that roster and that running back position. And again, I I think it, you know, Gus in his past usually goes with a couple of backs. You know, unless he has a Trey Mason that just kind of just takes it all over. But I'm not as concerned about it. I didn't get a sense that anybody's concerned about it, but uh, you know it's always bummer from a depth standpoint uh, to lose a, a player as talented as Thompson.
1: Also bummer from the fact that he's a senior too. I mean, you like to you know you like to see guys finish out, obviously, but also you know there's some institutional memory I think that that you know that heads out the door with Beno Drew. Um, you have looked and uh, and and seen you know what UCF has remaining out of there. Uh, Give us a sense from your perspective of the talent that UCF has at the running back position. Because, you know, we've been through this before with guys leaving it. You know, at, prior to last year, boy, UCF lost a lot of depth in the running back position. Everything seemed to turn out just fine, though. Um, you know, Benno, granted as big of a contributor as he was, is just one guy. And there are a lot of guys who are, you know, who are have that next man up uh, mentality, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. And that that's football in a nutshell. It's, you know, next man up. And, and you talked about this being a young group and it really is, you know, you have Isaiah Bowser, the transfer from Northwestern, he's the only senior left uh, as far as running backs. So, I mean, this is a young group, you know, you talk about Mark Anthony Richards, he's a redshirt sophomore. So he's yeah. still got, he's still got a good amount of, of play time left. So, you know, as far as experience Bowser's your guy, but you have, uh, a number of players that have at least some game experience, not a lot, but some, you know, uh, Mark Antti Richards only had what, 20 carries with Auburn. So, I mean, he's, the only benefit he has is he knows the Gus Malzahn offense, yeah. but he doesn't have much game experience. And you have uh, Demarius Good, Trillian Coles. Uh, those guys have had some, you know, experience. Johnny Richardson's, I think, the biggest beneficiary here. I think he moves up to your third running back. You have Richards, you have Isaiah Bowser as your bruiser back, and then you have Johnny Richardson. The problem with Bentavious Thompson coming into 2021 is he dealt with injuries in late 20 and in the offseason. He lost a lot of weight. He was no longer the bruiser type that that we saw last year. He was more of a of a, a quicker runner, uh, which when you look at it, it was – probably he's probably going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit because they have so many shiftier guys. Uh, so we don't, we don't know what happened, but I, I know he went through a lot of physical issues in the off season that could have played a role leading up to him no longer being part of the program.
1: Yeah. So real quick, I mean, if, if it was expected that he would, that Benna would have been number one on the depth chart, uh, Drew, I'll, I'll ask both of you real quick, Drew, I'll start with you. Who now do you think is the number one guy?
2: Uh, I, I think it's going to be Mark Anthony Richards is the number one guy, but uh, Isaiah Bowser is going to get a lot of work. Uh, you, you, you know, you don't want to put your bruiser as your number one guy. You know, you want to be able to utilize them in more situational, uh, you know, third and short towards the goal line, so while he's the most experienced, I think Richards is gonna get the is ultimately gonna be the starter. Eric, yeah,
0: what about I'm, you? Yeah, I'm with Drew. And I think you're gonna have there's gonna be multiple backs used. Um and I think you I think Drew's dead on point. I always felt that Richards was gonna be the guy, uh, regardless if Bino you know, Thompson was in the roster or not. And I kinda yeah, I kind of felt like Thompson was probably gonna be the th- maybe fighting for second, uh, to be honest. So uh look, it's a young team. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, the conference obviously came out with their preseason poll, and UCF was picked second. They got two first-place votes, and it was interesting to see some of the reactions, like, oh, come on. And I'm thinking to myself, that's actually pretty fair because we have to accept there's going to be a transition period here. I, I Drew, right? I mean, I, I don't expect things to go smoothly, and I think some people maybe think that's going to go smoothly, but this is part of the process here.
2: Oh, absolutely. There's going to be an adjustment period. And, and, you know, we saw that in the spring game, which unfortunately was not streamed. So not many people got to see it, but take a a player like Jalen Robinson, who just absolutely broke out last year in the air raid. Uh, He pretty much disappeared in the spring game and struggled to gain any separation. Whereas Ryan O'Keefe, who's, you know, smaller, but, but faster was able to to just thrive in this Malzahn offense. Granted, it wasn't fully installed and players are still learning it, but we're starting to see some nuances as far as, uh, you know, players that are, are pick, that picked up on it real quick and then players that that didn't quite get it as fast. But, I mean, that's the spring. There's months in between. We're just now getting the fall practice. But I want to throw out real quick a wild card player that, that could cause some disruption later in the season. That's R.J. Harvey. That guy – was I agree a with you. Beast yeah. during the spring game. His problem is just he's raw. And as, as he's Gus Malzahn's, a former
1: quarterback and is you know it, yeah. coming over from Virginia.
2: Absolutely. And, and he's just so athletic. And he's still learning the role. I mean, here's the truth: Kalia Davis, you know, defensive lineman Kalia Davis has more running back experience than RJ Harvey because Davis was a running back in high school and Harvey was not. So I mean the truth it's is he's point. still learning the role but I think he's actually got the highest ceiling because he's so athletically gifted. We watched him during the spring game and, and Jeff, you saw this while you were there. Uh, that guy was impossible to tackle. He hit hard. Yeah, I, I called speed. his name a lot
1: that day. Yep. Yes,
2: you did. And he, and he got a lot of chunk plays. Uh, so I think he's going to be a wild card later in the year. As he gets a little more experience, gets a little more comfortable because, as Gus Malzahn said, he was very nervous getting going, and he got better as the game went on because he got more comfortable. So I think he just needs more seasoning.
1: Yeah, he's a little small, eight195 but boy, he did not play small in that game. I, no, I, I'm i actually looking at that. I was like, I remember looking at his at his at his at his at his, at his vitals, and it, and it said he was five eight. I'm like, that dude's five eight because he's running like he's at least six feet tall, and he that hits was like really... he's
2: two ten.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so that was really bright. Edgewater High School grad. So. Uh, so that should be, I don't know. It's, that's why we have spring practices to shake this stuff out, but let's talk about media day in general. Um, Eric, we'll start with you. Any, uh, surprises other than the Benno thing, obviously, uh, that came out of there are notable things that, uh, that coach Malzahn talked about either during the UCF availability, uh, or during the, uh, American availability, uh, earlier today.
0: Uh, not really. I mean, I think he talked a lot about Dylan Gabriel's growth as a leader, And his leadership that he has shown, I I think is part of it. I think he talked about he's for the twelve team playoff. He does not believe that the Oklahoma Texas going to the SEC uh, hurts it at all. He think quote unquote it's anybody that thinks that is bull (laughs) was his (laughs) words. So I I think it's more of the process. He talked about, obviously... thus unplugged. I love it. (laughs) Right. I mean, he talked about the vaccination. Obviously, his team is around 70%. Uh, That is significant. Obviously, as we're talking, the first opponent, Boise State's already in a COVID uh, issues already. So uh, that's going to be a significant story. That was a significant storyline throughout the American. Everybody was asked about it, uh, which got so many different answers from different schools, which is so fascinating on that. But no, I think the players are excited. I think they're looking forward to playing. Uh, you know, I know one of the players said, well, they could beat, you know, Auburn and we could beat, you know, Ole Miss, and that somehow made headlines. That's when you know nothing really happened when we're trying to come up with nonsense storylines like that. Like, what do you want <laughs> the kid to say? I don't think we could beat anybody in the SEC. Oh, Jesus Christ. I just <laughs> I mean, I mean, It's, it's,
1: it's uh, a trap.
0: The uh, I well
1: idea. I thought well I thought that was interesting and I and I gotta give credit to Trace, uh, Trilco because he pushed he, he pushed Luke Fickle of Cincinnati on the vaccination thing. And Luke kind of dodged the question. And I thought that yes, was Yes he did. That was a pretty uh that was that was pretty telling. I don't know if he dodged the question because you know, he was afraid. He was afraid of disclosing anything. I think he was just
0: afraid of Trace in general. Trace could be intimidating well, in the in the quest, well, Q and A's. I could well, tell. Well, you. put, put
1: yourself in <laughs> if you put yourself in Luke's in in Luke's <laughs> shoes, right? Like, you know, you're either worried that you're going to disclose medical information inadvertently and potentially break the law, which you know you don't want to do, obviously, or you're or the vaccination rate at Cincinnati is so low that it's embarrassing to him and he doesn't want to say anything about it. uh, Which one do you think is more likely?
0: Oh, I mean, it's probably not where he would like it to be. Probably. Uh, That's probably a part of me. For example, Navy, Kenny Amatolo said that they're at a hundred percent. So yeah, usually teams that are pretty high percentage already know pretty much are not too shy to, you know, brag about it. Well, well, the Navy guys
1: are pretty disciplined about things.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. Look, it's, it, it's, this is a thing that's going to be pretty a, a common question here in the preseason. And I'm sure everybody has differences of opinion on it. And I think some of them don't like addressing it in general. I think some don't mind it. So I think you, it's kind of all over the place. The interesting thing that came out, Mike Oresco did say there will be no rescheduling this year. One of the big points he said in his, uh, long media segment, which was over a half hour, uh, was the fact there there will be forfeits? There will not be rescheduling. So in conference games, so if the team can't play, that's going to be a forfeit, no contest. And we've seen this in the uh, turn the postseason in the spring. So that's something to keep in mind. So whether however coaches feel about it, and however players feel about it, that's a, a, I think a motivation. Now they will not get a, a second win by hey let's get out of this game. By not playing it, that you're not going to see that. You're, you could see some forfeits uh, this season, as far as conference games. I don't know. I don't know if that applies to non-conference. I think that's that's a lot harder to agree on, considering you're in two different conference teams. But as far as conference games, you're not going to see a rescheduling. I thought that was uh, one of the highlights or significant points that Mike Oresco made today on uh, in his media day on Wednesday. So uh, whether people better just make sure they they don't get the situation. And, and Gus mentioned that they believe they have a good plan. They're obviously worried about the tracing, but they believe they can handle it. And he, he said no excuses that they're prepared for it.
2: I think I think those comments are underrated, and uh, the fact that, that they're following, I believe, the SEC model uh, with the forfeits. I, I think that I don't think it's getting enough attention as far as the significant, as far as the significance of that. Uh, you know, last year there was so much uncertainty, and, and they tried to juggle things, and it caused a lot of upheaval now it's look we have an option if you choose not to take it and something goes wrong that's on you so i i think that sends a very loud message to the players and the coaching staff and you know to to the question before about you know luke fickle uh, i think it's a combination of both but I, I think part of that is just a gross misunderstanding of of, of you know, like HIPAA law and all that, which uh, most people don't really understand what it actually applies to. So yeah, I, I think, think we've lo- learned
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think people are
2: overly defensive on not trying to say anything for fear of, of you know, something coming back to them, uh, thinking it's illegal, but it's really not. But um, I mean, right now it's a personal choice and uh, players are going to make their personal choices. Kosher are going to make their choices. But there's a risk involved, and, and the league has flat out said, look, we want 100% vaccination if possible. So here's the deal: if you know, forfeit if you can't if you can't go forward. So you know, hopefully, message received by by all the members of the American. We don't want to see any canceled games, uh, especially not from from UCF standpoint. Yeah. Uh, I want to see a full season of football, I'm, there's bound to be something that goes wrong somewhere.
1: Yeah, the, uh, ham- the hammer is there. They're they're waiting for the opportunity to to bring it down on somebody. I think that, you know, I, I'm really curious as to what other conferences do, uh, in the wake of that. Do you think that? Do you think that what the SEC and the American are doing right now is that going to be like the the mo for everyone going forward?
2: I think so. I think with the back the vaccine out there, uh, with the statistics and data that support the usage of it, uh, at this point the conference will be like there's no excuse at this point, you know, you do this or you leave it up to to fate.
0: Yeah. Well, you just, it's a pain in the neck to reschedule. I mean, that was a night. It was a, that was not a pleasant experience last year to just constantly shuffling schedules. Trust me. I don't think college
1: football on at least once every day of the week.
2: Right, you are crazy for for rescheduling. Remember in 2017 when the conference had to reschedule USF and UCF games because of the hurricane that came through? I mean, that affected eight different teams in the American.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, don't you even re- bring up the hurricane season. I mean, that's yeah. I,
2: you just even rescheduling a pair of games or one game can cause a massive amount right. of upheaval.
0: I I don't think we're going to see forfeits. I think what you are what we're going to see. Is what we saw last year when Temple came to town with literally what, 45, 50 players on the roster, maybe? They yeah, were basically that sideline was people awfully left. Stands. Yeah. Very thin. That sideline was right. awfully empty. And you might see a situation like we saw in the NFL last year where the Denver Broncos literally had to play without a quarterback. That's what happened. <laughs> and I think you're going to see, you might, you will see that at some point this year in the college game, maybe in the pro game too, as the Minnesota Vikings evidently currently have their problems in the NFL. But that's I think that's what we're going to see. I don't think a team is going to forfeit, but I do think that uh, they're going to it's going to be the bare minimum. And I think that's the thing to to monitor in the next few weeks. You know, because last year, the, there was a rule like you had to be at a certain number from a roster standpoint to be able to play.
1: Yep. 53 was the number.
0: Will that stay? Will that be the same number moving forward? Uh, that could be the biggest, most important number for all these rosters as the season goes on. So uh, that's the key there, because I think teams will play shorthanded if they can. And but, you know, it's uh, we'll say hopefully we don't have too many of those.
2: Now, to that point. UCF just brought in a walk-on quarterback, uh, Andrew Brito. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Andrew Brito from from UMass, redshirt senior. So he's just got uh, one year of eligibility. What you do is you take him and you segregate him. And you keep him away from the other guys. Because if something goes wrong, you always you have – You laugh, but you're right. You're right. I mean, you the have to set, set
1: him up in an apartment in Ocala or something like that. It's the like designated
2: that. survivor method. You know, you know, you got to have a guy ready to, to – to be the man if something goes horribly wrong and, and, you know, cross your fingers that it doesn't happen, but you, you, you have to, at this point, assume that a worst case scenario can happen. Uh, Someone asked on, on Twitter, you know, you know, why bring them on? And my response is you can never have too many quarterbacks, especially right now. So UCF has five quarterbacks. You know, Brito did not cost a scholarship uh, as a walk-on. So, you know, he's a roster spot, but, you know, they got plenty of roster spots. It's the scholarships they're limited on. And, you know, there is your designated survivor. He, you know, he may not be, you know, a world beater, but at least he can be on the field. If something horrible happens.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're right. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up that. And I, by the way, I did want to go recap, Eric, you did mention it earlier, but I just wanted to reiterate the preseason media poll Twenty-two votes for Cincinnati, first place votes. That is two for UCF. Nobody else got any first place Boo! votes. <laughs> no, nah, that's expected. Were, uh, yeah, that was expected. <laughs> I, I, I will say this, uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask Joe Bro back the same question, but I'll ask you guys right here. Um, is the gap between Cincinnati and UCF that much, or is it less, or is it more? What is it, Eric? You first.
0: I think the better question is, is the gap close from SMU in Houston to UCF in Cincinnati? Uh, I think both UCF and Cincinnati could be suspect. I, I think there's a... I think SMU I like a lot. And we're going to find out if Sonny Dykes can actually coach a football game this year. Because he's got talent on that roster. Same for Dana Hogerson. Uh, you know, I think they both have talent. SMU gets to host UCF in November. We've talked about that in the previous podcast. So... Uh, I think the gap is close. Cincinnati, even last year, they're not a team that's gonna blow people away on the scoreboard. Like they're gonna fight, they're gonna if they're gonna dominate the line of scrimmage, but they're not gonna win 30 to 10, 30 to 17. They're gonna win by seven to ten points. And I think Cincinnati, this their season could go two completely different ways. And I say that because you look at their schedule. They go, they play Indiana. Drew, is Indiana going to be the second best team in the Big Ten again this year? Is that possible? <laughs> uh,
2: as long as their quarterback stays upright, they have a very realistic chance
0: of making a lot of noise in the Big Ten. So that that's a significant game. And they go to Notre Dame. If Cincinnati were to win both of those games, Cincinnati's going to be in the top 15 at worst in the preseason polls. If Cincinnati were to win both of those games, now they're talking playoffs. I think they're in the playoffs at that point, assuming they win out in the American. I know you both don't believe the American can get in, I disagree. We've disagreed for years on that, but I think if Cincinnati wins, this is the type of schedule you need to get into the playoff. However, if they lose to Indiana and they lose to Notre Dame, this season could go south real fast for them. Even though their schedule conference-wise is pretty favorable, I think it's a it's a boomer bust year for Cincinnati, and that could open the door for a UCF. It could open. I think it opens the door for SMU and Houston. I think UCF still has questions with the youth. I think they're a year away. I do believe they're a year away. I think there's. I think the tough first half of the schedule is tough, with po- possibly Boise at home at Louisville. You got to go to Cincinnati. You go to post Memphis. That's all in the first half of the schedule. I think this is a much more wide open conference than it's been in a while. I think you can make a case for four teams to win the league, and at the same time, I also see I could see the league costing themselves a bid to New York Six.
1: You hear that, Drew? Eric is selling UCF at number two. He is selling that stock. Oh my gosh, <laughs>
2: well, Drew. My what, answer, what about
1: you? What's your answer on that one?
2: My answer is the, the the real gap is closer. You know, UCF gets the negative on the unknown. You have a new coaching staff, a new offensive philosophy, new defensive philosophy. So you're dealing with the unknown of how that's going to translate into game time. You know, are these guys able to move from system to system is Dylan Gabriel, just a system quarterback, which is what's been dogging him right now while everyone gets upset when they see the rankings and he's not in the top five, it's because he's viewed as a system quarterback. Now he's in, a different system that's not viewed as, you know, quote unquote system. It's more of a real, you know, offense, as opposed to just air it out and hope for the best. Uh, will he adapt spring game says yes, but obviously spring game is not real game. Uh, will other players adapt, you know, how does the, the new concepts of the offensive line, you know, translate into, into the game? There's so many variables, you know, how does this you know, new defensive line going to work? that's what hurts UCF in, Secondary's in the
0: secondary He's got questions. You lose a Jim Thorpe finalist. Like, oh yeah. You lose the best player, you know, best defensive player they've had in the program in a while. That's a question mark. Is the Absolutely. linebacker play going to improve? I think there's a lot of questions with this roster that still have to be answered. And I, you know, it could take a while to answer. Look, could UCF win the league? Of course they can. They could go 11 and one, 12 and oh, win the league. I could also see them going nine and three and eight and four. And I know some people won't like that, but I think that's, that's what I'm talking about. I think there's there's a you I, you could tell me any prediction you want about UCF, Cincinnati, SMU. I'm still more skeptical on Houston, but if you told me one of those teams is 11 and one, I could believe it. But if you told me either of those four teams is nine and three, I would believe it too. I do think there's a gap between those four teams and the rest of the league. Do you guys agree or disagree with that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. but I, I've also said eight and four is the bottom end of UCF's range. Agreed. They could go yeah. from undefeated to four losses, and and as we've seen during you know, the 25 game winning streak, it was one or two lucky bounces that made the difference. And then during the the hyper the lucky bounces started to stop, especially in 2019. Uh, you know, otherwise they could have run the table that year too. In fact, that was actually the best team that they had during the frost slash hyper air Was that 2019 squad? I'll fight anyone over that one. <laughs> uh, they were just top to bottom, just absolutely stacked, especially on defense. Uh, So there's a lot of question marks and and it's going to take luck. You know, sometimes it's better to be lucky. special
0: teams uh, has got questions. We don't know the kicking game situation. I mean, that could decide a game or two. Uh, Is this team going to get any production out of the return game? I mean, that could decide a game as well. I mean, SMU's had good special teams, Cincinnati. Those are, it's just those small things. And, all we know is there's more questions. I think on this UCF team than there's been in years. Doesn't mean that's bad. Obviously, there's talent, there's potential, but they got to prove it on the field. And we don't know who's going to stand out and who doesn't once the lights go on.
2: Well, it's the largest coaching philosophy change sure. since O'Leary to DeFrost. Yeah, I and mean, you know, you went from a you know from a pro pro style to a spread spread to an air raid, which is not a huge difference but now you're going to air raid to a no huddle, more conventional offense, uh, which is actually going to be really, I don't think everyone really understands how different this offense is going to look compared to last year. You know, Gus Malzahn may have literally written the book on the no huddle offense, but this is not going to be a air it out offense. It's going to be a lot of short mid range this is going to be uh, quick plays, but sustained drives to where defense is down and to keep your defense fresh which is why I have a lot of high hopes on the defense because they're not going to be put in as many precarious situations that they were put in last year. But again, it's a lot of question marks. going With a tough
0: schedule, with a tough schedule, where you have to go, tough schedule. You got to go to Navy, which we haven't even discussed. If they find a quarterback, and I think Navy will be better. Remember, they couldn't even, they didn't even block. They couldn't even, they didn't go physical contact leading into the season. And I think it clearly affected them the whole year. They depend on physical contact. If they find a quarterback to run that triple option that they run, they're not going to be an easy team to beat in Annapolis either. That's going to be a tough game for UCF. And it's just, you know, they go to Cincinnati, you go to SMU. Those are arguably some of the toughest places to play in the league.
2: Yeah, UCF has always struggled with at SMU. Uh, they, they've always won, but the games have never been pretty. Uh, you know, they've always been, you know, 17. Never been blowouts seven. either. Yeah, there was yeah, that, that they, game
1: in the ice Yeah, that they played uh, in 13. I remember that, yeah.
2: Yeah, the, where Blake Bortles basically carried the team with a couple of rushing touchdowns because they, they couldn't move the ball. The field was frozen. Uh, so you, you're right. It's a tough schedule. Uh, you know, I think SMU is a great dark horse. I think they're a little bit underrated and uh can definitely make a run i'm selling on houston i I have lost faith in in dana holgerson no
0: you and me both but they have talent that's all i'm saying i agree with you uh but they do have talent
2: they do have talent but it just you can't put it together so i mean i would actually i would put memphis as a bigger threat than houston in the standings uh between those two Mm,
1: interesting all right well, we got. Uh, we we will be sorting this out starting actually four weeks from now. It's uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night, uh, August the fourth. So one, two, three, four weeks from uh, Thursday the fifth. It's showtime. It's uh, it's September the second. That that opener for UCF against uh, Boise State. So we'll be taking a look at that, and we're going to be starting our previews uh, post haste here uh on black and gold banner will be gonna we're get, drew you're gonna be doing a lot of position previews we're all gonna be chipping in on that we'll have our annual five biggest questions facing ucf football just prior to game week and then we'll be previewing the boise state game uh leading up to that thursday night kickoff between the knights um and the broncos so this is going to be a pretty wild uh, four weeks as we get ready for this uh football season now more American talk coming up when we return. Joe Broback from Underdog Dynasty joins us to get the lay of the land on how UCF is being viewed outside of uh, outside of UCF within the conference and uh, some of the things we learned about what's going on with some of these teams that we have been talking about in this preview when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. Today's
3: episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
1: all right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here. Joining me now, he's a staff editor for Underdog Dynasty, covering the American and uh, most notably the Houston Cougars. But really, he just keeps his eye—he uh, keeps his eyes wide on the American Athletic Conference. So he's been quite busy in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Joe Broback joining us once again from Underdog Dynasty. What's up, Joe? Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for taking some time for us. We've got. American Athletic Conference Media Day is going on now, and the smell of football is in the air. This is all hitting a little bit too quickly, if you ask me, but here we are. What's your. You've done so much work over the last several years, and in particular this offseason covering the American. What is the competitive state of the league right now on the field? Is it, you know, it's. Even after COVID, you know, it seems like the American depending on who you ask, whether they're in the conference or not, could be the fifth best conference in the country. Now with the Big 12 and all the uh, trouble that we've seen so far, which we'll get to a little bit more a little bit later, um, there could be some openings for the American. But just in general right now, in terms of the competition that we see on the field heading into 2021, the general status of the league in your eyes? Oh, man. I think last year was
4: kind of a a year where we started seeing a little bit of the potential of what everybody in the AAC knew, but I don't think the rest of college football did. Uh, And that's, you know, the work that UCF put in, in 2017 and 2018. And then we saw, you know, Memphis in 2019 and then Cincinnati last year really put the foundation of this is a conference that means business. This is a conference that wants to be associated with those top, conferences in college football and now I think I think a lot of people thought that the AAC was catching both the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Uh, so this Big 12 news obviously it was I mean, this has been a crazy off season. I think we all can agree on that.
1: It's Fact been that a crazy the, few weeks. Right well yeah even though <laughs> just the last
4: few weeks would be a crazy off season. but I think that the Big 12 announcing or having their issues, whatever they're going through, you know, Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC uh, and the rest of the the other eight trying to figure out what they're going to do. I think this is as close as we've ever been to something that I think a lot of us said power six and I think like 75% of the time we were kind of like joking power six with like a 25%, like, no, we're kind of serious. And now that 25% is starting to creep up a little bit more. I think they're in a great place. I think they have the the teams that maybe they're not on the level of the SEC and the Big Ten. I think there's definitely a gap there, but I think they're moving up in the right direction. And if they can get a couple teams to the Big 12, not saying that they're going to, I don't don't want to get in any legal trouble. from. I don't want Bob (laughs) to after me.
1: Uh, No cease and desist letters. Yeah,
4: I don't need any of those. I'm, I'm good there. I think they're in a great place. Uh, talent-wise, they've always been there. Uh, they've been dominating the group of five, if you will. I've been getting a lot of crap for saying that, so I apologize for anybody who's offended about that. But it's just how I differentiate between the five and the other five. So th- they've really been the best amongst the group of five. I don't think anybody can argue against that. And I think the next step was putting themselves among the best five conferences in all of college football. So we're in a great spot if you're an AAC fan. And I think that things are only going to get better from here.
1: Today, the uh, American released their uh, preseason media poll. Uh, Cincinnati was uh, tab number one. They got 22 of 24 first place votes. UCF comes in second, but but I think a pretty clear second, at least in this, as far as the conference media was concerned. Um, You know, let's give the Bearcats some due here. They finished last year, number eight. Uh, they've been, according to the American, ranked in 28 consecutive national polls dating back to October of 2019, uh, and they've won 20 games in a row at home. Um, you know, we saw how their season ended last year in heartbreak uh, in the Peach Bowl to Georgia, but you know, Desmond Ritter is back, and uh, and and Luke Fickle once again has a pretty talented squad on his hands. Do you? think believe that there is I guess as large a gap between Cincinnati and UCF or anyone else in the conference as apparently the media does or is this going to come right down to maybe the last weekend?
4: Yeah I mean you look at like three years ago Cincinnati was a 4-8 team and obviously things can change very quickly as both Cincinnati and UCF have found out uh, when you hire a Josh Heupel and he almost ruins the program. You kind of have some building back to do, but the talent that Malzahn's bringing in, it gives them a chance to just jump right back in. Um, But yeah, Cincinnati is definitely, Luke Fickle's been building uh, a great program. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that he's brought in talent that makes it really not that surprising that they're the best team in the conference. Uh, And if you look at their, their roster this year, defense is going to be loaded again, and they're going to be one of really a few teams in all of college football that's going to play really good defense. Uh, pretty much the only one in the AAC, in my opinion, that's going to play good defense. Uh, and then you look at the offense, they have Desmond Ritter back for another year, uh, depending on how you feel about him, whether he's your QB1 in the conference or, or if it's still in Gabriel, I mean, it kind of depends on that debate. Uh, they have talent everywhere else, too. Wide receiver, they'll be good. Jerome Ford will be good at running back they have to replace two tackles, which is a big key. But when you have a quarterback like Ritter, who's mobile and can do that kind of stuff they' they'll be just fine. But yeah, I think there is a gap right now, but it's a gap that we've seen before because the gap between, if you think of 2017 when UCF was running everything, the gap between them and everybody else felt like it was pretty, pretty big. And then, you know, Memphis almost got them a couple of times. So you quickly realize that, this conference is very fluid. Doesn't matter who you are, even if it is Cincinnati, and you know they have a new defensive coordinator coming in, so that's going to take some time for people to get used to. Uh, they got a couple big games in their non-conference schedule against Indiana and Notre Dame, so a, a loss or two there could kind of affect their chemistry, and then that leaves the door open for a UCF or even maybe an SMU to kind of jump on them.
1: Uh, in your now, you got you had a great series on. Uh, underdog Dynasty, and I encourage everybody to check it out. I'm going to link to it in the show notes where you broke down the top 50 players in the American. And you had Dylan Gabriel ranked ahead of Desmond Ritter. You had Ritter at 10. You had Gabriel at two uh, behind Ahmad Gardner uh, uh, at Cincinnati, who has given, who individually and as part of a unit has given Dylan Gabriel fits over the years. But what is it about Dylan Gabriel from outside the UCF bubble that, um, that people, fear that he brings to the table? Uh,
4: Well, I think the biggest thing is that people have trouble when they think about rankings, everybody, because the NFL runs the world, or at least the the country, uh, people are just automatically think, oh, well, you think Dylan Gabriel is a better pro prospect than or Des- Desmond Ritter is better or Dylan Gabriel is better. One of the two, whoever you want is better as a pro prospect than them. And I don't look at it like that. I look at it, You take their talent into consideration, but you also take into account the statistics that they're going to put up. So I obviously everybody knows that Dylan Gabriel is going to have a better statistical year than Desmond Ritter, just based on the offense that they've run the weapons that he has. And, Dylan Gabriel is not that far behind in terms of his, his traits that does Desmond Ritter. I know a lot of people like uh, what Desmond Ritter brings to the table, but I think the fact that people just associate Dylan Gabriel as a pass first quarterback, just because Hypo basically just said, Hey, we're going to run one or two man routes. Most of the time, just chuck it to the first read if he's open and then just do a check down if you have to, if he's not open. And I, I just don't i don't think people realize that he was originally recruited to go to army and army is not throwing the football 40 50 right. times a game or yeah. all season <laughs> so <laughs> i think people people just assume that all he can do is is throw and really he's a good runner if you want go back and watch his film he runs really well now obviously ucF prefers him to throw the ball because that you know it doesn't takes away the chance of injury but I think the fact that people are still underrating Dylan Gabriel just because they think he was a system quarterback with Heupel. All he does is just chuck the ball deep and let his guy go get it, which part of that is true. When you have a talent on the roster, like UCF has sometimes, yeah, you're going to throw the ball up because Jalen Robinson and Ryan O'Keefe are just so much faster than whoever they are. Like, it's really not that hard. Sometimes I think people, they're they're obviously a very intricate offenses and concepts that people run, but sometimes it's literally backyard football. Hey, Jalen, you're faster than whoever you're going against. I'm just throwing it to you, go get it. So I think that people just assume that Dylan Gabriel is just a good college football quarterback and not just a good quarterback overall. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I take a lot of things into consideration. It's not just what they're going to do at the next level, because we're talking about college football, so let's talk about the present instead of what they're going to do in the future.
1: It, it, it's interesting that you brought up that point about you know the fact that he was recruited to Army, and you know obviously Army, you know like you said, you know they run the ball or they throw the ball about once in a blue moon, um, and it would have been really it, you know it, there's there's some other alternate universe where he did go to Army, and then we never would have learned about Dylan Gabriel's arm. But you know now that he's playing for Gus Malzahn. In, uh, in a system that ostensibly will be much different than Josh Heupel's classic air raid, like you said. We're going to see, you know at least from what I've been able to glean, a lot more uh, of an emphasis on running the ball. It's going to be—the uh, the term that I have used when people have asked me about it is it's going to be a much more frosty offense than the air raid that we saw. What, what is it uh, from outside—again, outside the UCF bubble— what does Gus Malzahn bring to the table at UCF that has people around the Americans sitting up and take notice, taking notice?
4: Well, you, you know, look at the fact that Malzahn, you know, won a national championship when he was OC at Auburn with cam. I mean, when you have cam Newton, it's kind of hard not to win. Uh, but he also <laughs> had, he, you know, he also brought a Nick Marshall led team, a, a guy who played safety uh, to the national championship and they nearly beat Florida state that year. And so I think that the fact that he has the, the winning experience, uh, and honestly, I'll say this again now, when UCF hired Hypel, I wasn't really sold on it. I didn't think he was going to be bad, but I wasn't like, this is the guy that's going to keep UCF on the national spotlight. And, and granted, in 2018, he did really well. But I was like, this is a guy who it's, his program is not going to be overall an elite program. And honestly, at times, I I compared his offense to kind of AAU basketball. It felt like, hey, we're just going to let the natural talent of our players take over. We're not going to run anything super intricate uh, every single play. uh, But we're just going to let kind of the talent go from there. So I think people kind of just got sick of, you know, if that doesn't work, they're kind of screwed. And I feel like Gus Malzahn brings in a a different recipe that people aren't used to seeing you are kind of seeing it with Cincinnati with Luke fickle. He's doing a balanced approach, uh, everything off the field, on the field, offense, defense, special teams, that kind of stuff They're They're really trying to find a way to balance everything. The fact that Gus Malzahn has been successful against the best coach that we've ever seen in the sport in Nick Saban. Like you, you get a different sense that he knows how to win at the highest level. And he brings just a different approach. I think a fresh start is what UCF needed, especially after last year. Very frustrating um, if you're a UCF fan. Uh, If you're a fan of underdogs and watching teams like Tulsa kind of rise up, that was fun. But obviously if you're a UCF fan, not as much. Uh, So I think that just a fresh start is probably the biggest thing. But also like he brings a championship caliber program to UCF. And I think that's something that, Knights fans are going to love and obviously he's saying all the right things with I'm going to be here to see UCF get into the college football playoff and obviously he's, he's going to say those things whether he's staying or not but I think it's just different because you know that he's capable of bringing him there it's not just talk uh, so you know that he has the resume to bring you there and, and he's not just making stuff up as he goes
1: yeah um Looking around the conference, once again, you know, behind Cincinnati and UCF, generally considered the two big dogs, um, you have sort of a pack with SMU, Houston, Memphis, and I guess you could probably throw Tulsa in there, three through six in the preseason rankings. Out of those teams, or maybe there's someone below them that you've you've looked at, out of those teams, which team, uh, which of them have, do you think, the greatest potential to be a Tulsa of last year and kind of splash onto the scene and surprise some people.
4: I think if you're going for big surprise, I'd go Tulane. So a team that's not in that, those teams that you just mentioned, uh, if Michael Pratt takes a step forward, this is going to be a very dangerous team. They're very experienced on defense. They have a ton of skilled players on offense as well. And if Pratt takes a step forward, they really could be that team. One of the teams in that list that you mentioned, I'm really high on this year. Uh, I might actually put them number two as the season approaches, is SMU. Uh, Even with a new quarterback running the show, whether that's Tanner Mordecai or incoming freshman Preston Stone, I think that that offense is going to put up a ton of points. They have a ton of wide receivers, they're super deep at running back. Their whole offensive line returns, their tight end position will be deep as well. I think they're just loaded. And it kind of reminds me of uh, the 2017 UCF team. That offense was essentially unstoppable. Uh, And while the defense wasn't exactly elite, they were very opportunistic with turnovers. So SMU is kind of in that same boat where, when you look at SMU's defense, you don't think, oh man, it's gonna be really tough to move the ball on them. But if they're able to find a way to turn the ball over to their offense and let them do most of the work, I think this is a very dangerous team. And if you're scoring 50 plus points a game and you're giving up about 20 to 25, uh, you're going to have some exciting games, but if you're able to turn the ball over and give your elite offense a chance to do work, then I I think you're going to be a good spot. So I'd say SMU and Tulane are probably the two teams that I'm going to pick as surprise teams this year.
1: Which teams are the most vulnerable to regression this year?
4: I think, I think Memphis, uh, and I've been getting a lot of crap for this uh,
1: ever since I did my (laughs) way too early. Uh, (laughs) It's just, uh, here's the thing. The flack has been coming at you from, from Tennessee. It's been great. I know. (laughs) And and
4: it's funny because it was, it was very quiet when I was on the uh, Riley Ferguson Anthony Miller Daryl Henderson bandwagon for so long. I can't, you know, it's like, Oh, he's supporting us. We don't need to talk about it. But as soon as you put Memphis <laughs> below fourth or something, all of a sudden it's Joe hates the tigers and Joe doesn't want them to do any good. It's like, no, I, I I'm a big fan of what they're doing. I just don't see right now how they're a competitive team. When you look at the rest of the conference, you, we talked about Cincinnati absolutely loaded, Talked about UCF, ready for a bounce back year. SMU is going to score a billion points this year. Tulane has a chance to be really good. Tulsa returns a lot of players on both sides of the ball. Houston, no idea what they're going to be. If you want a deep breakdown, I have no idea because <laughs> no one has any idea what Dana Holgerson is doing. Uh, maybe they'll be good. Maybe they won't. I don't know. ECU is a team that's like a high ceiling, low floor kind of team. So I have no idea what they're going to be. Um, it just, yeah, I don't know. I think Memphis is just there because Ryan Silverfield didn't really impress me in his first year, which there's not a lot of first year coaches that you're like, dang, he's going to be the best coach of all time. But I just eight and three, it was, it wasn't really an impressive eight and three. Uh, they played, it was like USF Navy and temple. And they won those games by a combined like 10 points or something like that. And it was like, That's not a team on the way up. That's a team taking a couple steps back. Yeah. they have a new quarterback coming in. They couldn't run the ball to save their life last year. Their defense returns a lot of players, but they also weren't exactly an elite defense either. So I pick Memphis. I'm not saying that they're going to drop to the bottom of the conference, but when you look at what they're competing against, it's going to be really tough for them to win those games.
1: Who do you think has the best defense
4: in the conference? Oh, Cincinnati. There's yeah. not, it's not even a question. Like there's such a big gap between Cincinnati and everybody else. Uh, it's, it's almost kind of laughable at this point. Uh, but I, I do like a lot of, you know, t- if Tulsa had, if Tulsa had Allie Green and a Caleb Evans coming back, they would be very, very close. But because they lose David Collins and they lose their top two cornerbacks and now they have like no experience out there, that kind of hurts them. Uh, but they'll they'll be stingy, as UCF fans know. They'll cause some problems. Uh, I think a team to watch out for that could be a big riser is ECU. Uh, I, I think their front four needs a little bit of work, but their back seven is very talented and could be very explosive. And then I'll even throw Tulane in there as another potential surprise team as well. I like what they have. A linebacker, uh, they get Memphis transfer Joseph Dorseus to add to their defensive line. And their DBs are are experienced, and and they get a transfer in in Darian Rakeshaw from Colorado that I'm excited about. So there's a couple teams, but I, I think that Cincinnati is head and shoulders above everybody else, and it's really not that close.
1: Boy, it feels like Cincinnati and UCF are on this collision course for that October 16th game at Nippert, you know, at least right now. But, you know, UCF's opener against Boise State on that Thursday night, September 2nd, is probably one of the biggest non A5, you know, cross sectional matchups that we've seen in a while. I know you pay mostly attention to the American, but at underdog dynasty you guys cover, you know, everybody who's in in the group of 5 including Boise. Um is could that game be the real bellwether for uh for shaking out the group of 5 that that even though it's that early? It could be. Uh, I think Boise state because
4: San Jose state and Nevada kind of surprised people last year. I think everybody kind of thought that or kind of lost track of who Boise state was and what they're doing. And now Andy Avalos comes in as a first year head coach and Gus Malzahn comes in as a first year head coach for UCF. Uh, I think that's not like a huge factor because you still have a ton of talent for both teams, but I, yeah, it's huge for the AAC because you know, the mountain West is the next conference below them. And then obviously there's a gap between them and the other three. Uh, but I think that the uh, mountain West also really likes to point out how the AAC struggles in bowl season. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you don't really mention the fact that the mountain West isn't exactly playing in the new year's yeah. six bowl very often, but I still like the mountain West. They're super fun to watch. Boise State obviously has their history. Everybody knows Um, and I think it's going to be one of the best games of the weekend. I know everybody's talking about Georgia and Clemson and Miami, Alabama. You can even look at Ohio state, Minnesota as a game that people are going to watch. But I think one of the things that people miss out on in the college football experience is these group of five games that feature top teams. And just because they're not a top college football team doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a bad game. Boise State's super talented. UCF obviously is super talented. I, I think it's going to be one of the best games of the weekend. And I it, in my I did a college football preview back in May, and it was one of my top games for the group of five because it's a great way to start the season. It's, it's the group of five equivalent to me of Clemson, Georgia. It's one of those two high-powered teams that are at the top of the group of five, and I think we're going to get a really exciting game.
1: Boy, I know that we can't wait for that down here because we should have full capacity for that game Thursday night national TV. It feels like there's uh, there's so much energy from the past, you know, eighteen to twenty four months that has just been they can barely keep the cap on the can. You know, it, it's it, it's you know, I, I know that the bounce house is going to be it might it could be one of the wildest nights that we've seen in the bounce house in quite some time. Let me zoom out uh, and talk about the conference in general and. Um, And we're going to touch the third rail with realignment here (laughs) because, you know, obviously you can't you're we're all contractually obligated to talk about it on any podcast. Uh, But the uh, as regard with regards to the Americans specifically, um, obviously, we've talked about how, uh, you know, or it's been well documented that Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12 actually. More or less directly accused the American of interfering with the Big Twelve and trying to recruit somewhere between three or five, or maybe the all eight remaining teams. Um, we were actually recording our podcast last week when Dennis Dodd started um, started tweeting everything that was apparently coming out of Bob's mouth that evening. Um, obviously, the American denies it. They deny uh, Mike Resco denied it quite vehemently today. Let's put it this way. Five years from now, 2026, how many former members of the Big 12 Conference will be in the American Athletic Conference? Or, in your opinion, how many members of the American may join the remaining eight?
4: Well, here's the thing. I'll answer that second one first. Okay. Why, why I don't see a reason why the AAC members would join the if if, if it's true and is tampering with the Big 12, like why would the AAC teams want to go to the Big 12 when their commissioners like, hey, I'm making our conference stronger. I'm gonna bring these teams in. And you already have some, you know, kind of some with Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State, those are already teams that are in states where you're located so you don't have to expand your reach if you really want to keep this random northeast team and add west virginia so temple and west virginia are up there you can add them uh i I don't see that as very likely i'd rather see west virginia go to the acc Uh, but i think that i would really like oklahoma state i think that would be really fun to have them uh mike gundy would be another great personality have in the conference (laughs) then uh i don't know baylor doesn't really move the meter for me as much um especially after 20 there you know the art briles situation but obviously they're trying to move on from that but i don't know that program doesn't really do much for me tcu has always been one of my favorites so i'd really like to see them get added texas tech obviously is there like i said it's it's all there I don't want really anything to do with Kansas. I don't really care that Kansas basketball is really good. Like they can go be bad in another conference. They can go to the big (laughs) 10, which sounds like maybe they, they in Kansas state reached out to the big 10. I don't know. Here's the thing. The big 12 blaming the AAC is kind of like you're you and someone in high school getting beat up by their bully. And then because their friends laughing at them, they take it out on them. It's like, so you're 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 mad at the AAC for taking teams that aren't your biggest brands but you are not going to say one word to the SEC who's taking the two programs that are keeping your conference afloat. And uh, you know, people have been saying bef- even before this happened that if you took Oklahoma and Texas away from the Big 12 that this would happen mm-hmm. and now it's actually happening and you know, I don't really feel bad for them at all and the AAC's actually been trying to make moves to Strengthened their conference as a whole. And I feel like the Big 12 has just been, well, we have Texas and Oklahoma. We don't really need anything else. So it's kind of like if you sit around and wait long enough, something bad's going to happen.
1: Yeah, there's, I think a lot, those of us who've been following college football for, you know, a long time. And you know, I remember when the SEC actually expanded to 12 and started holding their championship game, you know, I think a lot of us were surprised that how ill-prepared the remainder of the Big 12 seemed to be. And it's like, why were you blindsided by this? We knew this was a possibility. Um, and I think you're right about the American that's been, you know, working really hard to strengthen the conference that when it started had, you know, basically, and, you know, was pulled from the wreckage of the now former Big East, um, basically didn't have a television contract at all. Um Now they have – and then we did an analysis uh, of all the games on TV in terms of viewership that involved Big 12 teams not named Texas or Oklahoma. And it turns out that the American Athletic Conferences teams over the past five years, um, 2020 notwithstanding, I think you got to throw that out because of the the craziness that happened with the inventory. But, uh, you know – when you look from 2016 to 2019, the American gained on and then passed those remaining eight Big 12 teams in terms of average viewership per game. So now when you zoom out and see what's going to happen between now and 2025, and, and and I think you probably agree with me that I don't think Texas and Oklahoma are going to stick around that long. Um, although they could if they wanted to. I don't think they want to. I don't think ESPN wants them to. You know, where does... What do you think ESPN decides to do? Because it feels like they're the ones pulling the levers here. And the American, to their credit, is locked in on the worldwide leader until the 2030s right now. So that's some pretty good financial security, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, and if you look at like
4: outside of maybe 2014 when you had Baylor and TCU, which they, Big 12, even botched that because they didn't have a Big 12 championship game. Yeah. And honestly, Either one of those teams could have won the national championship that year. So, and that's neither honest. of them got invited, right? And that's you know that was right when I saw that I was like, this four team playoff is going to be a problem. But that's not what we're here to talk about. But then, <laughs> the really the last few years, it's just been, hey, Oklahoma is really good. Okay, what else do you have? And while people laughed at, I, people are mad at Oresco for things that he's done and or not done. But one thing that he did do is he pushed this power six narrative. So it was in the ground and then he grabbed a shovel and dug even deeper because he believed in it. He knew that if you make enough noise, people are going to pay attention to you. And because money talks, everybody's the more you pay attention to a conference, the more money is going to come your way. And then the fact that UCF went along with it and in 2017 claimed their national championship and a national championship that I acknowledge, because you know what, that's, you're because college football system is stupid and we don't allow the best the teams that deserve to compete for a national championship to actually compete for one yes UCF won a national championship get over it and honestly more people I'm getting into a college football playoff Jeff you got me heated about the college football playoff bring it bring it we're here for it more people talk about UCF's national championship than the team that actually and I'm putting air quotes at for people who can't see me actually won the national championship that year. And so I, we just overlooked the fact that people make UCF 2017 national championship jokes more than they bring up who actually won the national championship that year. (laughs) So honestly, in terms of marketing, it's been one of the best things and whether they've tampered or not, they put themselves in a great position because they made noise in the college football world, whether they were winning or not. And I'm not surprised that the big 12 is in this position because all they did was like, Hey, we got Oklahoma. We're good. Well, what happens when you don't have Oklahoma? Mm
1: -hmm. And now
4: they're seeing, well, we don't have that. And I I get a little worried though, with ESPN being able to pull the strings like this, because now with the NCAA kind of losing their power, we're essentially just seeing ESPN take over because ESPN holds a lot of control in college football. Yeah. They have the SEC network. They have the ACC network. They have the Longhorn network, which is also the stupidest network that they have. I don't know why they have that.
1: I was Again, getting. Re- I think they're getting ready to, to ditch that once Texas joins the. Well, SEC. and
4: I heard something about they still have like they still owe Texas like hundred and sixty million dollars for the Longhorn network. And so if if Oklahoma and Texas decide to leave early. And they have to pay what it was like 80 million a piece or something like that. Texas might just be like, Hey, ESPN, you owe us 160 million. Just put that on our tab and we'll call it even. So it's <laughs> like, if, they, if Texas wants to help Oklahoma, they definitely have a way to do that. Uh, but I I'm a little concerned that ESPN becomes essentially the new NCAA in terms of how much uh, power they have, how much control they have over the whole situation. I would like to see Maybe you know Fox, CBS, somebody else start. Fox is trying to do a little bit more, but I would like to see maybe a little more balance in terms of what we're trying to watch. But then again, that also probably means that I have to watch freaking Peacock because NBC <laughs> wants to put Notre Dame Toledo on Peacock or it, what? Like, what is? I mean, I know ESPN's doing oh. ESPN Plus, but it's like who watches Peacock? Honestly, like the I, under- I don't
1: I don't blame them for putting Notre Dame in Toledo on Peacock. I'm okay, going to get true. I'm going to get ticked off if they put like Notre Dame in Michigan on Peacock or something. Right. Like that. You yeah, know what mean? something
4: you actually want to watch. And it's yeah. like, well, the thing is, too, like two years ago or maybe it was three years ago, whenever Kyler Murray, I don't know, all the Oklahoma quarterbacks are just basically the same at this point because they just shred everybody. But <laughs> when Kyler Murray was at Oklahoma and they played Army. And it was a game that wasn't on national TV. It was on some like specific network, and you had to pay like fifty five bucks. Do you know how many people paid fifty five bucks just to watch the last two minutes of that game? Like every single at the athletic reporter, every single ESPN reporter, like I paid the fifty five bucks to watch it. I'm like, ah, you are the people that are going to make me pay for Peacock to watch friggin' Notre Dame, Michigan. <laughs> like, what is this? I can't stand it. But yeah, my concern is that ESPN is getting a little too much power. And while we are, you know, labeling NCAA as the bad guy, we might have a new bad guy that we have to worry about because they're just going to, Hey, we're going to make the sec into this 20 team league and it's just going to be NFL junior. And yeah, I can, you know, I can watch everybody else if I really want to, but like, I still want to watch those teams, but do I want to watch Texas go seven and five and make the 12 team playoff because they lost to Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma and Texas AM. No, I don't want to watch that. That's stupid. Like, don't join a conference just because, like, you're just going to do this to make a little bit more money. And I know it's millions of dollars, so a little bit's a little exaggeration, but I don't want to watch that. I want to watch good teams compete at a high level. And I want to see Oklahoma and Texas stay in the Big 12. I know that's not going to happen. But if it doesn't, then yeah, let's let the AAC take over for the Big 12, move past the Pac 12, or have the Pac 12 move up, whatever. I just want to see a great blend of something that makes college football great, which there are 130 teams that we get to watch. So yeah, if I want to watch UMass and UConn play because they play this year, then I can. But if it's not going to be relevant, which that one's not, so maybe that's a poor example, but Mm -hmm. like Boise State UCF is going to be a game that's super important in college football. And I feel like people aren't going to watch them because they don't care about it because they're not in – one of the top five conferences in college football this year.
1: Well, we'll be watching it. That's for sure. Right. You uh, will when be it comes around Thursday. Right. I'll be there. Uh, I'll be there in the stadium. I'm sure you'll be watching from, uh, from back home. It's going to be a big night. It's, it, it's so weird how, you know, we're, we're now less than a month from that game. And, you know, it feels like it, it, it almost feels like we didn't have a season last year, even though we did. It's almost like it, it, this year does feel like we've been without college football for almost two years. And now it's, coming back in full swing so uh so here's to hey here's having a uh hopefully a successful college football season. one last one last thing I want to talk about before we go um the American was pretty clear and Mike Oresco also was pretty clear today in his press conference about uh COVID and the fact that he said look if 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 you can't play because of a COVID outbreak on your team you're going to forfeit we're not going to be rescheduling games Do you see that as the M.O. for other leagues going forward?
4: Yeah, man, it's tough because I feel like teams, for the most part, have been taking it relatively serious, unless your name's like Nick Rolovich and you don't want to get vaccinated yourself. I'm not here to tell you what, get vaccinated or not. You make your own decisions based on what you need to do. Um, But I think that it's going to cause some headaches uh, because especially if... For example, say that, this is extreme, but say that Alabama has two outbreaks and the SEC says, hey, you're going to forfeit those games. Or say that Cincinnati has two outbreaks. Let's so relate it to the AAC. Has a couple outbreaks during the season and they have to forfeit a few games. Well, isn't a team that has three forfeits really that much worse than an undefeated team that didn't have to play Cincinnati or something like that? So I think that that, especially a Cincinnati team that, I'm not going to say has a legitimate chance at the playoff, but they're going to push for a playoff spot this year. Mm -hmm. So I think it only really becomes relevant if it's a team that is competing for a college football playoff spot or to move into the top 10. I think that's where really it only matters. Uh, But since the Bulls have become largely irrelevant at this point for in terms of college football overall, I I don't think it's going to affect them that much. Um, I, do, it, I think it does incentivize teams to try and get their players vaccinated because you know no nobody wants to forfeit all these kids yeah. work super hard to play a game that they love to try and get to the next level and that's another thing that affects so there's a lot of seniors that are coming back from a covid year that they didn't they didn't essentially get a full season and they want to play in the NFL and so if your teammates like hey i'm not getting vaccinated, and now because they got COVID, we all have to sit out and forfeit a game. And I don't have one more game of film, especially if that's against a good team. Because if you have to forfeit a game against like Cincinnati, UCF, SMU, you're going to be pissed about that because that's a great chance for you to showcase what you can do at the next level. And I think we saw last year that sometimes that's that hurts teams because especially or even since if Cincinnati has outbreaks and they can't play Indiana or Notre Dame, like those are huge games that are going to spark outrage. So I think that at the the top of everything and the highest point of college football, or even in the AAC, it's going to be a big headache if it becomes a factor. Uh, but I hope it doesn't. I'm mean, going to have my fingers crossed. It sounds like most teams are doing what they need to do, but it's really going to be, it's really going to make people mad if it affects them, it affects their futures, if they're trying to go to the next level.
1: Boy, I'm with you. I, you know, and actually that's a good point. That's an angle I didn't really even think about. It's like, you know, imagine if you are a prospect and you're getting, you know, imagine if you are, you know, uh, Desmond Ritter and you're getting ready to play, uh, you know, a key opponent and someone, <laughs> and someone comes down with it, you got to forfeit that game. That's going to be a real issue. I, I hope we don't have to deal with it because I know everyone's deal, dealt with it this long, but, um, and everyone's just anxious to try and, you know, to, it, chomping at the bit to get back to normal. But, you know, it's, it's one thing where, you know, it's it's not going to happen it's on, on its own. People have to be active to advocate for themselves and, and their health. Joe Broback from Underdog Dynasty, underdogdynasty.com. Joe, uh, where can UCF fans find you?
4: Uh, you can find me uh, mostly on my nonsense Twitter account, uh, at Joe Broback. It's pretty easy. Um, I'm not going to accept
1: that. You are an excellent follow on Twitter. Yeah.
4: You know, I appreciate that. I, I try not to, you know, I try not to take it super serious, uh, but at the same time, like I, I, you know, I I'm not, not better than anybody else. I'm just sharing my thoughts. I'm here to have a good time. Uh, so if you, if you like college football, give me a follow. I don't care who you're a fan of. I, I'll talk about it all day. So find me at Joe Brovac. big things coming in, in 2021.
1: All right, and uh, we've also and also don't forget to read Joe's top 50 AAC players list. A, a series of 5 uh, 10 in each article. Really good breakdown of some of the talent that we've got in this league coming up. Joe, thanks for your time, man. Always good to see you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks to Joe. Once again, you can find him at Joe Bro back on Twitter. Also make sure you follow Underdog Dynasty for uh, the latest news on the SB Nation network among teams elsewhere in the Americans. So, uh, lots of insight On the conference, I hope you guys all feel uh, adequately prepared, as we're four weeks away from kickoff uh, between UCF and Boise State. All right, coming up next, Eric and Drew stop by once again. First, we're going to talk with Bryson Turner to update us on the Olympics, Uh, and then uh, Drew and Eric will and I will uh, wrap things up here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Don't go away; we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon back with you here, and Bryson Turner is here. You know that you know that because you're hearing the music right now. Uh, Bryson following the Olympics for us as we have just uh, well a few days left in the fortnight of Tokyo 2020, which is actually happening in 2021. But uh, plenty of news involving UCF athletes that we wanted to uh, talk about, including perhaps the uh, the biggest news of all. Uh, UCF graduate Phil Dahlhauser, who bowed out along with his partner uh, Nick Lucena in the quarterfinals of the the men's beach volleyball tournament uh, to the number one team in the world, it should be mentioned, uh, from Qatar. Uh, And thereafter, Phil announced that he was retiring from the sport of beach beach volleyball, uh, 41 years old, quite possibly Bryson, the greatest beach volleyball player ever. Certainly has to be mentioned in the same breath as, uh, you know, Karch Karai, Todd Rogers, a bunch of those other guys. But, um, you know, obviously a disappointing finish for, for Phil and Nick. Um, th- th- I know that they, you know, really wanted to cap this off with the gold. They really weren't a favorite coming in for gold to begin with. But, you know, there's always the possibility that you can make a run. The run ends. Um what is what do you think the the legacy is for Phil Dalhauser as his beach career now wraps up with this olympiad
3: well i think really a lot of people are going to see dalhauser as one of the beach volleyball legends from the 2008 olympics because the 2008 Olympics was a great Olympics for USA volleyball altogether. Dalhauser Hauser winning a gold medal alongside, I believe it was Misty May and Kerry Walsh. Yep. Um, Kerry Walsh, you know, I think people are most people are going to remember him as one of the as one of the group that just went just blazed through the 2008 Olympics and beyond that, uh, beyond that, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of what he did after uh, afterwards. He made the medal round in all four of his Olympic appearances, which is definitely no easy feat to have. Um, unfortunately, you know, um, this Olympics just comes kind of shades this 2012 appearance where the, this the exact same thing happened, where where in the round of 16, they came across a younger team that just, just didn't work. And I will say this, though, looking at the, at the stats from the event from the game, it wasn't like they didn't that weren't completely overpowered um they won the right it was set. it was tight it went to 3 so yeah they, they won the first set 21-14 the set 2 was 21-19 uh in the end you know it qatar just outlasted them and that and so if hey if you have to get outlasted in order to get beat then especially against the number 1 team in the world that's definitely no easy feat right now. uh, Qatar is scheduled to play uh, the Russian Olympic committee team in the semifinals. And I would not be surprised if they want, if they won gold and Hey, I mean, if you end up losing to the eventual
1: medal winners, I mean, there's really no shame in that. So, so again, congrats to Phil. He was a guest on our show uh, last year. In fact, just prior to the shutdown, when he was doing that exhibition, Um, down in Lake Nona, uh, he's going to move into coaching. He's got his own Beach Volleyball Academy down there. And, uh, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the next act is for Phil, uh, uh, a legend in the sport of beach volleyball and uh, a UCF night through and through. Speaking of, uh, uh, you know, I guess you could say disappointing finishes, but Matty Rogers, the uh, weightlifter uh, who just recently graduated, um, had a, uh, a, a, you know, she posted on Instagram after her – I believe she finished – where did she finish, Bryson, in, in the in the competition? Was it fifth, I think?
3: She finished sixth, actually. Sixth,
1: okay. Um, yep, she, and had which, a, she had a 108-kilogram
3: snatch lift and a 138 clean and jerk lift, though of the three lift chances that she got to lift in each in each uh, discipline, um, she only managed to successfully lift one time. So, right. One time in each one. So definitely – I- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So no, go ahead. You you were saying something.
1: Well, I was going to say her story ended up becoming much bigger than what her performance was, and this is this is, I think, you know, oh, yes. With with Simone Biles, you know, the, mental health has become a tremendous story in the Olympics, uh, and the and, and the struggles that a lot of high level uh, competitive athletes go through, regardless of you know what sport they're in, what level they compete at. And, uh, and Maddie posted on her Instagram uh, after, after the conclusion of the competition, uh, you never expect to have your—this is Maddie Rogers speaking on Instagram— you never expect to have your worst day on what was supposed to be your best day. I have never been in better shape and more prepared for any event. I have never been more confident going into an event, but it just happened to not be my day today. Uh, she goes on to mention that she, uh, that, you know, she was 10 kilograms lighter, at least— than everyone else in the field um uh she never expected to be she said i never expected to be fighting just to make a single attempt Well, i can't help but feel crushed and disappointed in myself i'm proud that i'm even here it was a major kick in the uh you know what not to have been able to uh qualify in a class closer to my own to go ahead and uh, to go head to head with athletes of my size and i thought i had fully come to terms with it but that was also not the case um I had every intention of proving myself on that stage today and showing that no matter what gets thrown at me, I can overcome. Um, And this is the last thing I wanted to mention because I think this is so important. For those who also suffer from anxiety, please know you're not alone. Sometimes it attacks full force even when you've done everything and used all your tools to prevent that from happening. This is a lesson to myself and others that mental illness can come knocking at the most inconvenient times, but you can get through it, and it's okay. It doesn't make you any less of a person, or in my case, athlete. For me, this was the push I needed to take the next steps of my mental health journey to get things a little more under control, and for that, I am grateful. Unfortunate timing, but I know this experience will only help me in the long run. Thank you for your love and support today, and always. Um, uh, obviously, I'm skipping over a bunch of things, but you, you know, I, I thought there was, that was that was really pointed to what Maddie said. It's you know, you don't always expect to have, like you said, your worst day on what's supposed to be your best day. And, and, you know, I really applaud her for drawing attention to, you know, in her own way to mental, it's one thing, you know, if someone who's like the face of the Olympics, like, you know, Simone Biles is, who's such a familiar name, um, you know, brings attention to it. And obviously, you know, I'm not saying that's not important, but, you know, there are a lot of other stories that don't get covered where, um, that people need to know about. And it's not just the people at the highest level of the highest level. It's people who, you know, maybe not as many people who have heard it, but are still dealing with the same issue like Maddie Rogers is. So, um, you know, w- what's the end result here? I, you know, it's even though she finished in sixth, I felt like she really she really won the day here in in bringing some awareness to uh, to mental health in the way that she did.
3: Oh yes, I would definitely not call Maddie Rogers' performance a complete disappointment by any means. The fact that this was not her weight class at all. Looking at um, uh, I'm looking at NBCSports.com's uh, start weight at, which, because they had this when the competition was going on. In her group, Group A, which is what her what her group was when she was competing, her body weight was listed as 78.55 kilograms. The next lightest person in that group was 84.05 kilograms major outlier there yet she still managed to finish in, in finish in sixth place and actually one kilogram away from fifth place and this is something that I said on Twitter but I want to reiterate here so the fifth place finisher who finished one kilogram ahead of of Maddie Rogers is a 33 year old French woman named uh, a French woman I won't try to pronounce her name because I'm probably going to get it wrong but she she is 33 and she managed to beat to, to beat her Maddie by one kilogram and Maddie is 25 even in this weight class which isn't her own with the, the fact that she, she was finished pretty much right on par with someone who's at 33 this I think that this is far from the last time that we're going to see to see Maddie Rogers here was it inconvenient this time? Of course it was. Um, one quote from the from her Instagram post that you didn't say that I think is actually very that I very uh, telling is she said, "I put everything everything being capitalized into being here today. I just wish my brain had been on the same page." And watching her live um there's a clip of her on NBCOlympics.com that you can probably watch she was she was very emotional when she came back from lifting that um 138 kilogram clean and jerk because she had already attempted it twice beforehand and it and she didn't wasn't able to do it um the way but and it's not like she wasn't able to lift 138 pounds it's just that you have to have certain qualifications in or, in order to make it a clean lift um And so getting it on that third try, though, you could see that she was just grateful to get it on that third try, especially the fact that this was a class that wasn't her own. So I think the big takeaway here is, yes, she managed to call out. Uh, she managed to draw attention to mental health issues, uh in, in in this case, anxiety. And the fact that she was still able to overcome the fact that she, the, that she was in a class that wasn't her own and managed to finish in sixth place, very close to a top five, too, so I would, so I would say that this isn't going to be the last time we hear Maddie Rogers. If a thirty-three, if someone, if someone at the age of thirty-three cannot can come back from a from a almost career-ending injury, that was one thing that they were talking about. The Frenchwoman had a had a nearly career-ending injury a while ago, and she came back. That was one of the big stories of this competition. But if she can come back and do that, then. A 25 year old Maddie Rogers, and I could see her going, working her way up, and making the the Paris Olympics and succeeding in that one. Especially, I think, if she's going, if she's able to qualify in her own weight class. Although, even that might not be able to stop her, considering what we saw here today, here in this Olympics.
1: Oh yeah, we we haven't we haven't heard the last of Maddie Rogers, I'm sure. And and the bet, you know, this is one of those things where, yeah, of course, the Olympics were delayed by a year, but the good thing is for a lot of these athletes who want that another shot at it. You only have to wait three years, not four, this time around. Um, let's talk about uh, Kristen Thomas on the rugby side of things. Had a very good Olympiad. Three tries in uh, in one match and really uh, was a star for USA Rugby, wasn't she?
3: Yes, she was. She had three tries over the whole tournament. Uh, both were in games against China, actually. Um, to basically give a small re- a small recap, you, the United States managed to make the medal make the medal round, and they ended up losing in the quarterfinals to Great Britain, twenty one to twelve. So then they were placed into a, a into a uh, bracket where they were determined fifth through eighth place. So that first game they had to play against China, and, who they had already played in group play. And the very first and and Kristen Thomas in that game scored the very first try for the United States. In the entire tournament. So great job for her to get that. And then she and then in this first game in the five through eighth place bracket, she they went up against China once again, and she got two tries. So so very well done. It's Kristen Thomas seemed to have had the Chinese team's number there. And uh, beyond that, she was on the she was on the field for a lot of the time in the a lot of the time in this tournament. Uh, she actually did not play in the final game where they where they ha- where they, it was a game to determine who finished fifth and sixth against Australia. Uh, but considering her performance against China, and if you were watching that game, Kristen worked her butt off in that game. So she definitely earned a game off, especially if this was a game to determine fifth through sixth place. And while they did lose in and lose to Australia in in that game, I would let me see the, the score uh here it is the score was 17 to 7 in Australia's favor i would say finishing sixth in the in it was is definitely not anything to be ashamed of especially since rugby is not exactly you know the a very prominent sport in the united states you know the uh, the teams right now uh the gold medal was won by new zealand and fiji won the bronze medal and considering that fiji has only ever won medals for rugby You can, can, I think it kind of just speaks to, you know, even though rugby is not the most prominent sport in the United States, we still have some very talented rugby players like Kristen Thomas on our team. So very well, so very well done for Kristen, represented UCF very well. And uh, I'm excited to see what they could do next uh, in France, because I imagine that uh, we'll be, we'll be in France as well. And France actually won the silver medal for this event. So it should be very interesting to see where they go with that.
1: One last active athlete that we want to talk about: uh, Alini Reyes, who unfortunately did not get a chance to uh, uh, take the pitch for Brazil. Uh, they got knocked out in the what was it the quarters?
3: Yes, they got knocked out in the quarterfinals against Canada in penalty kicks. It was uh, it, it was a four to three penalty kicks actually. Uh, basically, Brazil made their first three but missed their last two, while Canada missed their first one but made their last four. So. Yeah. Brazil but
1: was, uh, but Eleni was not in goal for that. Unfor- no,
3: she was not. It was unfortunate we did, we could not get to see her. She was, uh, she was among the possible substitutes for the final group play game, but be- because the Brazil never really got a big enough lead, I think, is why they did not, this was why they decided to not substitute her in. So it's just so sad to not see her in this games, but. You know we'll we'll be so we'll still be keeping an eye on the Brazil international team as they compete in, in other events and we might just see Alini in one of in one of them
1: maybe in Paris 2024 as well. All right, Uh there is one more athlete that we have yet to see. He is a Paralympian, is that right, Bryson?
3: Yes, indeed, Kyle Coons. I believe we've said before that he is going to be competing in on August 22nd, roughly. So, uh, I'm, you know, I'll be following that and I'll be very, and I'll be very excited to see how he is, how he, how he does.
1: All right. Well, Bryson Turner, thank you so much for uh, giving us a little update on the, uh, on UCF's Olympians as the Olympics wrap up, uh, the second week of uh, everything you'll be recapping that, I believe, uh, in a little bit more depth, uh, on the site. Is that right?
3: Yes, I will. I am currently finishing up my the summer B semester at UCF, but once, that is fi- that is finished then i will get that up and w- and uh, also i'll be covering kyle coons on twitter uh which is uh, at, at it's bryson turner the bnt or capitalized
1: once he competes and uh, yeah all right thank you bryson we'll see you again later down the road all right all right all right thanks again to bryson uh let's wrap up with some other news we're finally getting some schedules put together boys
0: It's August. We might. I know. It's
1: like, yeah, we better hurry up because, like, it's it's coming around the corner. By the way, the first UCF sporting event, at least that we know of as of right now, is just four days away. It's the women's soccer team. They're playing an exhibition against FAU at home on August the eighth. They have two exhibition games on consecutive weekends. Home for FAU August the eighth. That's this Sunday, four p.m. Then they're at Miami Saturday at 1. That's August the 14th. They officially open up the uh, season Thursday, August the 19th against Texas. That's a 6 p.m. kickoff for Tiffany Roberts, the Hadak's team. Uh, Listen to this out-of-conference slate, boys. You ready? This is the regular season. Home for Texas at Florida. Home for LSU at Ohio State. Home for Penn State at Ole Miss Home for North Carolina, Eric. We joke. We got to get Tiff on the show here because, like, we always joke with her about how she is uh, her schedule. Her scheduling philosophy can best be described as masochistic. And uh, boy, did she outdo herself this year, man! Holy smokes!
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very attractive non-conference schedule. What's going to be fascinating about this, and it's for all the fo- for volleyball included. The word I think I think of is fatigue. Will there be fatigue from playing a spring season? Obviously, women's soccer had a tough spring. Uh, that counted, you're not used to that. So, how will the players be mentally and physically uh, going into this fall after a quick turnaround here? Now, uh, for women's soccer, they got 10 newcomers. They got some players that did not participate in the spring. This is the class that has been well uh, recognized among. Some of her maybe Coach Hadex, one of her better recruiting classes, so I think that's the pride side. But you mentioned that's a very difficult schedule with Texas right away. Penn State probably be top twenty five. Uh, Carolina speaks for itself, obviously, uh, but at least they'll have a non conference. You're not going straight to conference, so I think you have time to kind of get this chemistry together that they just didn't have in the spring? Can they get this group alongside players like Madison Murnin who returns and Ellie Moreno uh, as well as Katie Bradley who had a good first year? Can they all click? They'll have time to do it. Tough schedule, obviously. Uh, LSU comes in as well. But I think I'm very interested to see about fatigue. How do the teams look? Uh, we've seen this will injuries play a role uh, I'm very interested in it but uh, look it's important year for women's soccer trying to bounce back and along with baseball boys now the longest drought on campus to make the, the NCAA tournament 2017
1: yeah isn't that isn't that true though that you know that's gonna to be such a huge factor for these fall sports um you know so, both soccers. Uh, And volleyball in particular is the fact that they're coming, they're heading into the fall from the from playing in the spring. Um, You know, granted they didn't play as many games or matches, but that doesn't make it any less grueling. Um, You know, especially given all of the troubles that everybody had with uh, getting conditioning right and whatnot. Um, This is a uh, this is a bit this this is going to be a huge factor. I mean, the thing is that it it may indeed vary from one place to another based on how many games were played. and whatnot. So this is going to be uh, – that's such a tremendous factor. Volleyball, by the way, men's soccer schedule not out just yet. I imagine we're going to get that.
2: And, and uh, guys, don't forget, season. there's that big heavyweight showdown with Stetson. You can't write that one off.
1: Oh, we never write that one off. That's uh, th- that's a, another midweek there, uh, non-conference, uh, September the 19th. By the way, Memphis comes here this year, and so does South Florida. But UCF wraps the season – uh, at Cincinnati, usually they have South Florida to wrap the season. But Cincinnati,
0: no, that's interesting. You're right. That is very. They've kind of done it the you know, last few years. South Florida, UCF have finished against each other. But you bring up a good point. Memphis and USF have been the top two programs the last few years. This is the year uh, the, in the odd years where UCF gets them at home. So that's a big plus. And again, I think Coach Sahedek hopes you get some answers from a team. But they go to Ohio State, Drew. They go to Ohio State Thursday, September second. Mike, <laughs> what do you mean? Eh? No, you know, no, has State. But, not no. Well, no. the The problem is,
2: it's at the same time as the the Boise State football game.
1: That's right, seven o'clock.
2: It's at the exact same time. That's the problem, because you know, I would love to watch that one. So, you know, watch my childhood team face my adult team. Mm. But unfortunately, wow. it's not meant that to be. A
0: You'll be busy, hopefully, watching uh, football there. But, obviously, they go to Florida. By the way, this is the post-Becky Burley era. Becky Burley retired from Florida. Interestingly, though, her retirement did not only last four months. She's now the head coach of the Orlando Pride in the uh, pro, league, pro league, which is kind of funny. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, t- challenging schedule per, per usual for Coach Zaheida. All
1: right. Uh, one other schedule that got released, and this is the one that I'm, of course, looking at, it's the volleyball schedule. Uh, they start out Friday uh, with uh, – they actually have three – or excuse me, what they call four, what they call preseason tournaments. Really, it's your non-conference tournaments. It's, it's these round-robin tournaments where you invite three other teams over. Um, the uh, they have their scrimmage on Saturday, the twenty-first. Uh, but they start with a, a home tournament, and here's who they're bringing in: Georgia Tech, Saint John's, Penn State, three massive programs. Uh, then they head to South Carolina. They face Clemson and then South Carolina twice the following weekend. That's the Labor Day weekend. So September, they're actually playing uh, across from the the, uh, football opener too on uh, Thursday, September the 2nd at 7 p.m. at South Carolina. Then they play the Gamecocks again at at 7.30 the following day. They actually play Clemson to open Thursday uh, at noon. Back home for the UCF Invitational, uh, Florida Gulf Coast, Florida State, Georgia again, heavyweights. <clears throat> Don't sleep on Florida Gulf Coast. We know what they did to us a couple years ago. And then finally, <clears throat> the Sunshine uh, Classic, which is uh, the—I uh, believe this is the fourth year in a row that we've had that 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 we've had this group. It was kind of a rotating uh, tournament contract. Uh, Miami, Florida Gulf Coast, and Florida Atlantic to start out the season. Um, again, round robin play in uh, the American this year. South Florida comes to town on Wednesday, November 17th. Um, UCF goes to Tampa on October the 13th. Um, And then uh, two dates with Cincinnati, September 26th at home. That's the second conference match of the year. Uh, And then uh, at Cincinnati, November 5th, the the home season wraps up November 19th. That's a Friday uh, against uh, Temple. Uh, Midweek volleyball this year.
0: That's a little unique, different. I'm curious about that move. Uh, playing some midweeks. Granted, uh, that that's a very interesting curve. Obviously, well, I, I
1: think they're doing it for the. Uh, th- there might be some. There might be some ho- Well, I think one of them has to do with the Thanksgiving holiday because November twenty fourth. 24th- uh, Wednesday, uh, they're playing at Tulane. That's the second to last match of the year. And then Friday, November 26th so the day after. Yeah. It seems like
0: they want to get everything in before Thanksgiving. Obviously there yeah, will be no conference. They
1: always tur- do. They always do. No conference nope. tournament this year. That's right. Yeah.
0: No conference tournament. Uh, obviously Penn state. I mean, you could argue that Penn state is the greatest women's volleyball program, uh, in the last 20 years, Yeah, uh, right up there. That'll be exciting on Saturday. Look, same thing with his volleyball team. Fatigue. You know, volleyball, especially, physical sport, how do they, you know, going from spring to fall will be fascinating. Uh, this core returns out of that. Can they get that bad taste out of their mouth after the loss to high point? Can they put that behind them, uh, or does that linger? Uh, those are some of the questions. Obviously, McKenna Melville, this is her senior year, possibly her last year. I don't know how that works with the extra year, but it could be. You have to treat it that way, because she is a senior, you just don't know. That's a legendary player. Uh, you know, will probably end up possibly the chase right now for the all-time kills record. She's going to end up uh, healthy, be one of the six UCF players over a thousand kills and a thousand digs. This, she's right now writing her bio to be in the conversation for the greatest volleyball player ever. This could be possibly the final chapter. Who knows? But obviously a challenging schedule, which Todd likes to do. And I think I think he even acknowledged. I remember after the high point match, he hadn't acknowledged it. He thought it hurt them that they didn't have that non-conference in the spring. It didn't get them prepared for that a match like High Point in the NCAA tournament, which I thought yeah. was an interesting comment there. So they will have that luxury. Uh, again, it's a worth a uh, admission to see a McKenna-Melville type because we don't know how often those come around. Uh, but a challenging schedule. And again, fatigue is so interesting. Obviously, you follow this. Obviously, one of the bigger stories in the Olympics for volleyball, Jordan Thompson injured uh, during the Olympics. That could Decide the fate of the Americans whether they win the gold or not in women's volleyball. If she returns from her injury, volleyball things like that could change the a uh, uh, course of a season. Not right, only right.
2: do you have the fatigue issue, you have the weight of having to to defend multiple back to back conference championships. Creepy, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you you've got a lot of weight on the shoulders of that team. the The pressure just gets that much higher. You know, everyone's got the same fatigue question, but. You've got this king size bullseye because everyone wants to take down Goliath.
0: Well, and that's a great point you make, Drew, because Jeff, if you notice that schedule at Tulane at Houston to finish here, you can make the it's argument tough. though that's the two biggest threats to UCF. Like I, mm-hmm. I think the conference clearly I don't think that was by accident. Some would say Houston was the second best team. They kind of faded at the end. Some would say Tulane was the second best team. They pushed UCF to the limit in the semis in the spring. You could argue if you did a preseason rankings that's UCF, Houston, Tulane. With you know you could argue between Tulane and Houston, and UCF has to finish on the road. The conference championship could be decided on the road.
1: Right, and, and that's and that's where it would be decided because there, like you said, there is no tournament. By the way, get used to the following term here, guys: fifth year. Not a redshirt senior, not a senior, a fifth-year player. That's officially what Anne Marie Watson and Amari Williams uh, are uh, are are being uh, classified as uh, as their returners uh, who are you know playing their fifth year and you know got the extra year due to COVID. Officially, you know, like we said, uh, you know, McKenna Melville is listed as a senior on the roster. So is Tali Marmon, Amber Olson. This is a this is a group that. Has been has won so much, uh, and is ready for. But has seen you know a little bit of disappointment um, here and there. Catherine Westlich also can't forget her. And Nurissa Morava who's officially listed as a redshirt senior. But um, I I think that they still have one of the, one of the things that you know the, that the coaches said afterwards was, you know, it, it's it's kind of a good thing that the season is happening so soon after the lo- the disappointing loss in the first round of the NCAA to high point in that the bitter taste of that loss is still fresh in their minds. Um, but again, you know, fatigue obviously going to be a factor. Longer schedule. More traveling this year obviously because you're playing that. F- you remember last year they played, uh, they split the American basically into two and you played double headers in the same site. So there wasn't a lot of traveling. This year is a lot more traveling. You're playing... Uh, Full round robin in volleyball in the American this year um, because there's no uh, conference tournament. So this is going to be quite a grind, quite a grind for this team uh, as they get ready for uh, to try and defend three consecutive American Athletic Conference uh, championships and try and win a fourth. They're looking to be the first team since uh, Laura Smith's uh, uh, head coach, Laura Smith's teams in the mid '90s, to win four consecutive conference championships uh in volleyball wow this is going to be a lot of fun so we're going to be previewing doing a full preview of all your fall sports coming up in the coming uh weeks days and weeks uh and we're aiming to interview all the head coaches You heard that roxy
0: you've been asking about those it's coming
1: i know it's coming roxy we got you uh and it's going to be it's going to be fun it's going to be fun where i'm looking forward to seeing you know what the coaches have to say about this crazy summer that we're having and what their preparations are for this year it was so difficult for everyone last year but um you know i'm sure that they just are, are as they're as anxious to get back to quote normal end quote as the rest of us so uh it'll be fun to talk to them all right boys so let's go ahead and uh wrap this thing up we can follow each of us on twitter individually jeff underscore sharon eric lopez elo stat boy drew you can follow black and gold Banneret at ucf underscore Banneret on twitter and at facebook.com slash And of course, don't forget blackandgoldbanneret.com, where we are SB Nation's home for your UCF nights. Uh, in addition, uh, if you subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Make sure you tell uh, a UCF fan friend in your life and recommend it to them. Uh, if uh, you do not subscribe to this podcast, make sure you do via Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, you can do so on Spotify or wherever fine podcasts are given away uh, for free. Uh, if you do, by the way, if you do subscribe, just please leave a rating as well. Uh, and a comment. Let us know how we're doing. It. And you can always reach out to us, like you said, on Twitter where our DMs are open. So for Andrew Glukov and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. We'll catch you next week here on the Black and Gold Podcast.